0: And he was a con artist. He had a couple of different scams to raise money. He claimed to have a document that detailed the exact location of the Ark of the Covenant. And so he raised uh, money from his followers to fund this trip to go to the Holy Land to find the Ark of the Covenant. And of course, he never found the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, Indiana Jones found the Ark of the Covenant, but... uh, (laughs) He had another scam, he claimed to have a device that would turn rocks into gold. And you could have your rocks turned into gold, of course, if you would just give him money. Uh, Just a complete con artist. He was actually arrested for sodomy back when such things were illegal in this country. Of course, now they're they're celebrated. Uh, Not only was he a homosexual, but he was also a pedophile homosexual. He was just a wicked, wicked individual. And like John Alexander Dowie, Charles Fox Parham also claimed to be Elijah. John G. Lake is uh, one of the revered generals of the charismatic movement. Uh, He was a disciple of John Alexander Dowie. For time's sake, I won't go through all these bullet points, but just know that uh, John G. Lake like all of these others, was a an objective theological heretic. He claimed to talk to dead people in seances. And uh, he was also a con, con artist. He had this one scam for a while. He dressed up like a, a, an Arab mystic. He gave his, himself a name, Abdul bin Shinandar. And there's actually photos of him dressed up in this Arab garb, came, claimed to be an Arab mystic. It was just John G. Lake dressed up in a costume. I mean, it's just a complete and total fraud. Uh, Charismatics to this day claim that over 100,000 people were healed at the hands of John G. Lake, but that's manifestly untrue. The only kind of healings that ever happened with John G. Lake or any of these people, and the only kind of healings that you see today in the charismatic movement are psychosomatic healings mind over body, you do not see organic healings, uh, just psychosomatic, uh, there's any number of conditions that you can get temporary relief from, just from a rush of adrenaline, rush of endorphins, and you make yourself think that you feel better, and you actually do feel better for a little while, until the euphoria subsides and new day dawns and the symptoms always reappear. So no, no organic healings, all psychosomatic. Psychosomatic healings happen all the time in the charismatic movement, but organic healings do not. Another one of the leaders in the charismatic movement is a woman named Catherine Kuhlman. Some of you more seasoned saints may remember Catherine Kuhlman. Here's a brief video clip of Mrs. Kuhlman.
1: The church is precious! Oh, if you only knew how precious is the church! Can you all hear that? How gracious is no. the bride of Christ! No? I can't it. I can't do it. How precious is the bride of Christ? It's the Father's
2: gift to His Son. You can't love without giving them. The greatest gift that is possible for them to give, you shall receive.
0: Just in case you've been sleeping a little too well at night, I wanted to I wanted to uh, show you that video to haunt your dreams. Can y'all hear that? Could y'all hear that in the back? You could? Okay. I can't turn it up anymore here. But Catherine Kuhlman was the world's most famous female faith healer. 1933, she settled in Denver, Colorado, started the Denver Revival Tabernacle, served as the pastor there. Of course, if you have a female pastor, you have neither a church nor do you have a pastor, but she pastored another church, Pennsylvania, invited a guy named Burroughs Waltrip to come and preach at her church. Burroughs was a married man, however. He had a wife and two children, and he left them, left his family, to be with Katherine Kuhlman, and they got married. So she was a home wrecker. Marriage only lasted seven years. Oddly, she later tried to deny ever having been married to Burroughs Waltrip. Uh, she was asked about it by a reporter, and she said, oh, well, we almost got married, but I passed out before we actually got married. Well, no, she didn't, because their marriage certificate is actually on file. So all of these individuals, dear friends, when you look at the history of the charismatic movement. And time fails me to mention Smith Wigglesworth and uh, uh, Amy Simple McPherson. I mean, there's a lot of them, people that they refer to as God's generals. To a man, to a woman, they were theological heretics, false prophets, con artists, and most, if not all of them, were sexually immoral. It's not a good history at all on any level but this is the roots of the charismatic movement. I want us to look now at some of the doctrines of the Word, Faith, New Apostolic Reformation Movement. We'll look at the doctrine known as Positive Confession. They teach that we as Christians can speak things into existence just like God did. Watch this from Levi Lusco.
1: you know that when god made you made you in his image the image of a creator who created by speaking he said let there be light and there was he said let there be an earth and said, let there be dolphins and there were because he spoke them. he's a creative god who spoke these things into existence and then he made you in his image so you were created by a creator to create and one of the chief ways you create is by participating with God in creation through speaking. The Bible echoes from the Old to the New Testament that life and death are caught up in the power of the tongue. So every single time you speak, there's an act of creation.
0: So every time we speak, that is an act of creation. We can literally speak things into existence just like God did, unless you think I'm overstating their case. This from Creflo Dollar, undoubtedly the most aptly named of the prosperity preachers, but he says, as spiritual beings who possess the nature of God, we have the ability to speak things into existence just like God did. So yes, they do teach this, that we can create simply by the words that come out of our mouths. They demote God, They make God look human and then in turn, they deify man. They make us look like God. They ascribe to man qualities and attributes and abilities that reside solely with God. This from, uh, let's go to the little God's doctrine. They teach that if you are a Christian, you are in fact a little God. Watch this from Creflo Dollar.
2: Now, in verse 26 and verse 27, God now submits himself to this principle of everything producing after its own kind. And in verse 26 and 27, let's read it out loud, let it read. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Now that's interesting because if everything produces after its own kind, we now see God producing man. And if God now produces man, and everything produces after its own kind, if horses get together, they produce what? And if dogs get together, they produce what? If cats get together, they produce what? If the Godhead gets together and say, let us make man, then what are they producing? They're producing gods. Now, I got to hit this thing real hard in the very beginning because I ain't got time to go through all this. But I'm going to say to you right now, you are gods, little g. You are gods because you came from God, and you are gods. You're not just human. The only human part about you is this physical body that you live in. The real me is just like God.
0: The real me is just like God. God. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. If I remember my Bible correctly, wasn't the desire to be just like God kind of what led to the whole fallen state in the first place? Isn't that ironic? The very first temptation, which led to the very first sin, the desire to be just like God, what led to the whole fallen state in the first place, the faith preachers teach us truth. They want you to believe it. Watch this from Chris Ballatin. Bethel Church, pastored by Bill Johnson.
1: The reason why you can heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out demons, is because of who you are. Jesus didn't say, pray for the sick. He said, heal the sick, only God can heal the sick. That's why he said, be imitators of God. Listen, I can't heal the sick, only God can heal the sick. That's right, you are sons of God. In fact, Jesus quoted the psalmist when he said, You are gods, and the word is gods is little g. He is big g, and you are little g. You're little g, God. I understand we're not Mormons. Don't take this too far.
0: Too late. Just did. And it's ironic. You say, oh, I understand we're not Mormons. Well, yeah, actually you are. That is, that is Mormon theology. That is Mormon theology, that we will all become gods. Watch this from Stephen Furtick. Uh, Not exactly the picture of humility, but watch this from... I'm
1: not in covenant with a person. I'm not in covenant with a political party. I'm in covenant with God Almighty. I am God Almighty.
0: I am God Almighty. Now, when that clip started making the rounds a couple of years ago, uh, some people were trying to defend him and they were saying, oh, you know, Stephen Fry, he didn't really mean that. He just got a little tongue-tied and, you know, it was just an inarticulate moment, a Joe Biden moment, you know, it just wasn't real. And, uh, and when I saw it, I thought, you know, even I, I've been calling him a false teacher for years, but even I thought, no, okay, I don't think he actually meant that he's literally God Almighty until I saw this sermon that he preached two years before, in which he said practically the same thing, watch. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. You are not my maker.
2: You will not be my mirror. When God said, I am to Moses, You know, my name is I Am. He was trying to get him to see you
1: are
0: as I am. He said practically the same exact thing. So I think, yeah, he actually did mean that. It's just unreal. Watch this from Chris Valatin.
1: And, and, and I'm really coming with a humble heart saying, I actually don't know why you didn't intervene. And I, I'm having an honest conversation with God. And I'm saying, I'm, I'm letting you use your all-knowingness now. I'm opening my heart and I'm saying, use your all-knowingness in me. Know my heart. David said it this way, know my heart and search my, my ways. If you see anything wicked in there, ha, go ahead and take it out just realized that God actually needs permission to do that because he relegates his all-knowingness to my will when it comes to my life. And God goes, I would love to know you, but I'm waiting for you to invite me in so I can see what's happening inside of
0: you. That clip is only 57 seconds in length and somehow in under a minute, Chris Vallotton managed to teach at least four objective heresies in 57 seconds. That is just unbelievable. But uh, for a brief recap, he says to God, I'm letting you use your all-knowingness. Imagine God's relief <laughs> that Chris Vallotton is letting him use his all-knowingness. And then he says, I just realize that God actually needs permission to do that. Well, no, he actually doesn't. Dear friends, God does not need our permission. If God needs our permission to do something, then who's really in control here? We are. Who's really sovereign here? We are. Then he says, he relegates his all-knowingness to my will when it comes to my life. So God is subservient to us. And then he says, God goes, I would love to know you, but I'm waiting for you to invite me in so I can see what's happening inside of you. It's like God is a, like a, a kid on Christmas morning, just can't wait to open his presents to see what he got. God has no idea. He would just, I, I'd love to know what's going on in the inside of you, but you've got to let me in. So much for omniscience. You know, th- this is just, this is open theism. This is blatant objective heresy. It's coming out of Bethel Church. Watch this from Michael Todd. Michael Todd is a rising star in the Word of Faith NAR world in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, I'm going to show you this clip, and I'm going to pause it in just a couple of seconds into it to explain something. But watch this from Michael Todd.
1: You've just been taught wrong. It's one God. Everybody say one God. God. Say it like you mean it. One One God. Three expressions.
0: expressions. Okay. Okay, pause it right there. He says, one God, three expressions. That's modalism. One God and three expressions. That is opposed to Trinitarian theology, which holds that God is one being in three distinct persons. One being in three persons. Three expressions is not the same thing as three persons. That is modalism. That God manifests himself in different ways. Sometimes God has on his father hat, uh, then he'll take the father hat off, put on his son hat, and then take the son hat off, put on the Holy Spirit hat, but he's not three in one, it's just God just manifests in different ways, expresses himself in different ways. That is modalism, that's the theology of T.D. Jakes. If you go to T.D. Jakes website, you can go there right now and check check it. Uh, he says, we believe in one God in three manifestations. That is modalism. Three manifestations, not persons. But anyway, back to Michael Todd. Watch this.
2: Let me, let me, okay.
1: What is this? Water. It's water. That, 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 that's, that's what we say, but if you want to be very scientific, this is H2O. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is H2O. I'm thirsty. I'm going straw. That's good. <laughs> Let me ask you a different question. What, uh, hold on real quick. We established this is what? It's H2O. What is this? Is say ice? If we go down to its basic form, this is H2O. Now, it is in a different form than the liquid version, but this, Still is, uh uh-huh, this is a different expression. What is this? This is H2O2. It's dry ice. And it's a different expression. So if that was God the Father, God the Son, this is God the Holy Spirit. Still H2O. But it takes on a completely different form. Oh, and this is what God is about to do in your life. You're about to see evidence.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate to be nitpicky, but, uh, dear friends, dry ice is not H2O.
1: <laughs>
0: dry ice is CO2. <laughs> But he's so enthusiastic about his error, so. But that's, that is classic modalism, what he just demonstrated there. It's classic modalism, trying to come up with analogies for the Trinity. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25, God speaking, to whom then will you liken me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Dear friends, this is not a challenge. God is not saying, okay, I want you to come up with something, some good analogy to uh, illustrate my triune nature. No, God is not like water. Sometimes it's liquid, sometimes it's solid, sometimes it's vapor, no. That, no, God is not like water. He's not like an egg. You know, you've heard that illustration, you've got the shell and the white part and the yoke and, well, God's God's like an apple, God's like a three-leaf clover. No, this is not a challenge. There is no one, there is no thing that you can compare God to. That's the whole point. He is without equal. So please, please, please do away with all these dumb analogies of the Trinity. They all fail. That's the point. Watch this from Jesse Duplantis. Now this this may be, now the first thing you'll notice is he got a big bow on himself. The reason he has a bow on himself, he is talking about how we as Christians are gifts that Jesus gives to the Father. Never mind that the Bible says that we are gifts given by the Father to the Son, but they are not ones to let the Bible get in the way of their theology. <laughs> but watch this as he talks about Isaiah chapter 9. You will not believe what he does with Isaiah chapter 9.
2: So when you understand that you'll understand the book of Isaiah chapter 9, I want to read verse 6. For unto us... Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Yet the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 1 says, Be ye therefore imitators of God as dear children. So, when I look at Isaiah 9, 6, where is the government now? It's on us. The government of the world is on mankind. And because we're made in God's image and in God's likeness, you can call us wonderful. Yes. Counselor. Hey. mighty God, Christ in us. The everlasting Father. Woo! The Prince of Peace. That's what it means to be
0: the gift. Can you believe that? Jesse Duplantis makes himself the subject of Isaiah chapter nine. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It has gotten so bad in the word faith movement in New Apostolic Reformation that they've pretty much dropped the little from the little God's doctrine. We're just gods. And this is why, dear friends, they hold so tenaciously to health and wealth, because we're gods. And a god cannot be poor, and a god certainly cannot be sick. So many people think that this movement is just about, oh, they just kind of got some extreme views on health and wealth. No, health and wealth is just some of the bad low-hanging fruit off of a rotten theological tree, a tree that is rotten and dead at its core and health and wealth is just some of the bad fruit hanging off of those dead branches. But the allure of health and wealth is what makes this movement so appealing and so dangerous at the same time. Because the prosperity gospel says, if you'll just come to Jesus, then he'll make you wealthy and he'll heal your body. They appeal to two of the most basic and universal of all human desires. Almost everybody would like to be rich. And hardly anybody enjoys being sick. And so, let me get this straight. You're telling me that if I become a Christian, then God will make me rich and I'll never be sick again? (laughs) Sign me up, man. I like that, Jesus. You got two of them? I'll, I'll take them both. But is that the real gospel? Or is the real gospel something a little bit more like come to Jesus because you're a sinner because of your sin the righteous wrath of God abides on you and the only way to have that wrath removed is to repent of sin turn from sin and place your trust in the risen Lord Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross and then you will have heaven but on this earth we're not promised money we're not promised healing what are we promised? We're promised persecution. That's what we're promised. But that's not as popular, you see, as saying come to Jesus because you can be rich. You won't have to be sick anymore. If you come to Jesus for those reasons, you've come for the wrong reasons. You've trusted a different Jesus and a different gospel. And a different gospel does not save. I want us to look briefly at the softening of sin. You might notice in the Word of Faith movement, they rarely, if ever, talk about sin. Or if they do talk about sin, it's not in biblical terms. Sin is never portrayed as high treason against a thrice holy God that incurs His righteous wrath. Sin's never dealt with in those terms. If they talk about sin at all, sin is just something that uh, prevents you from having your best life now. It just, it holds you back. And that, that's why you shouldn't try to sin so much because it, it just hurts you. They soften sin. Watch this from Jesse Duplantis and Kenneth Copeland. Uh, as Jesse Duplantis is talking about Zacchaeus. Watch this.
2: You know, I, I was preaching this the other day, that opposites attract, but so the outcasts attract. Zacchaeus was an outcast, but so was Jesus on the other spectrum, an outcast. Now think about that, when he saw that man, Zac, I'm going to call him Zac, he saw something in Zacchaeus yes, that no one else did. You know what he saw? Most people believe in original sin. Some people believe him he believed in original goodness. Yeah. That's what the Lord told me. He said, I believe in original goodness. <laughs> I could see the good in that man. Yeah,
0: yeah. So let me get this straight. Jesus told Jesse, I believe in original goodness. Really? Well, my Bible says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Does that sound like original goodness to you? Doesn't sound like original goodness to me either. Romans three, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become what? Worthless. There is none who does good, not even one. Dear friends, the Bible knows nothing about original goodness. It emphatically teaches original sin. And as heretical as it is to teach original goodness, he actually ascribes that heresy to none other than Jesus himself. He says that Jesus told him that. You see, it's just not a big deal. I said this earlier today. It is not a big deal in the charismatic movement to put words in God's mouth that he did not say. It's just no big deal. They do it all the time. But the softening of sin is not relegated to the word of faith movement You can also find it in the SBC. I wanna show you a couple of clips from J.D. Greer and Ed Litton. In fact, uh, Phil Johnson referenced these clips in his uh, presentation last night. So this is a sermon. J.D. Greer preached this sermon in 2019. Ed Litton preached it almost, uh, this sermon almost exactly one year later in 2020. They're preaching on homosexuality. Watch this.
2: Jen Wilkin, who's one of our favorite Bible teachers here, and he's actually leading a women's conference, she, says, she said, we ought to whisper about what the Bible whispers about, and we ought to shout about what it shouts about. And the Bible appears more to whisper when it comes to sexual sin compared to its shouts about materialism and religious pride. In the Bible, the sexual sin is whispered compared to the shout God makes about greed and judgmentalism.
0: The very notion that the Bible whispers about sexual sin, that is astonishing to me. Dear friends, the Bible does not whisper about any sin, much less sexual sin. In fact, the Bible says that sexual sin is not to even be named amongst God's people. The Bible actually singles out sexual sin as particularly injurious to us. Because unlike other sins, sexual sin is committed inside the body, not outside. And though God spends no more anthropomorphic energy, if you will, forgiving us of sexual sin than he does forgiving us of any other sin, it is no more difficult for God to extend forgiveness for that sin than any other sin. But because of the unique nature of sexual sin, sexual sin does leave a wound. It leaves a scar. It is different than other sins. Watch this from Greer and Lytton.
2: Assuming it's hard for LGBTQ people to get to heaven. We're all thinking LGBT people can't go to heaven. Homosexuality does not send you to hell. You know how I know that? Because heterosexuality does not send you to heaven. Homosexuality does not send people to hell. How do I know that? Because heterosexuality doesn't send people to heaven.
0: Aside from the obvious plagiarism, (laughs) that is a mind-numbingly dumb thing to say. Homosexuality does not send you to hell. How do I know that heterosexuality doesn't send you to heaven? Homosexuality absolutely will send you to hell. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter six, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor revilers, drunkards, swindlers, covetous, will inherit the kingdom of God. It absolutely will send you to hell. It's not the only sin that will send you to hell, but it will, make no mistake about it. And if you die in that sin, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then Paul goes on to say, Such were some of you. You were those things, but you're not anymore. You were a reviler, but you're not anymore. You were a drunkard, but you're not anymore. You were a homosexual, but you're not anymore. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. Homosexuality absolutely will send you to hell. Dear friends, the Bible whispers about no sin, much less sexual sin. And these are pastors. These men are pastors. Recent presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention, and they said something like that? Astonishing. Absolutely astonishing. Okay. I want us to look at what the faith preachers teach about the person of Christ, the aberrant Christology of the Word Faith New Apostolic Reformation movement. The the Christology of the Word Faith movement is a weird blend of a couple of different heresies, Arianism and Adoptionism. uh, Arianism essentially held that Jesus uh, was a created being, And of course, as such, that constituted a denial of the deity of Christ. Adoptionism held that Jesus was just a man and God adopted him as his son at his baptism. And the Christology of the word faith movement is this weird blending of Arianism and adoptionism. Uh, watch Watch this from Pastrix Denise Goulet at Las Vegas International Christian Church. Uh, At this particular church, on a Sunday morning, they had a very special guest come up onto the platform, none other than President Donald J. Trump. Watch this. And by the way, this is not a knock on Trump, okay? Trump is no theologian. He doesn't doesn't know, understand these theological issues. It's not a knock on Trump. It is, however, a knock on Pastrix Denise, but watch
1: What I was hearing the Lord say was, this is my son, with whom I will be pleased.
0: Is that not shocking? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And she says that about Donald Trump. And and again, it's not just the heresy of the statement in and of itself, but she says that she heard God say that. Again, so much of the heresy you find in this movement, they don't even take ownership of their heresy. They blame it on God. They compound their sin. The very fact that that entire building did not collapse and kill every person in there is a testimony to the patience and forbearance of God. Kenneth Hagin, the father of the Word of Faith movement, said this, every man who has been born again is an incarnation and Christianity is a miracle. The believer is as much an incarnation as was Jesus of Nazareth. We are just like Christ, all the rights, all the privileges. It's a different Jesus. Watch this video clip. This is from a man uh, you've probably not heard of, but his name is Seth Dahl. He was up until recently, he was on staff at Bethel Church. I think now he's kind of gone off and done his own independent thing. But watch this from Seth Dahl. And this clip is going to begin with the logo of Bethel Church and their music. Now, I point that out for this reason. Because what you're about to see is not something that accidentally slipped past the editors. Uh, It's not something that they thought, oh man, ooh, I wish we'd have caught that before that got out. No, what you're about to see, they're actually using in their advertising. They're proud of it, watch.
3: I had a pastor say some things that hurt me really bad. Hurt me so bad, messed me up emotionally, mentally, really messed me up. Nothing physical, nothing like that. A a, a pastor I, I really respected said some words and hurt me so bad. And one time I was laying on the floor, actually it was in this room, I'm laying on the floor, and in, in a vision, in an encounter with God, in a vision, Jesus picks me up and holds me so close that I can't see anything. And he holds me so close, and Jesus starts to weep. And he says, please forgive me. Please forgive me. I said, what are you talking about? Please forgive you. He said, when that pastor hurt you, it's as if I hurt you because he's a member of my body. Please
0: forgive me. Is that not shocking? The very notion that the thrice holy Son of God would come down and ask a sinful, vile creature for forgiveness? Blasphemy. Blasphemy. Dear friends, these people are not Christians. You're thinking, oh, wait a minute, Justin, are are you saying that they're not even saved? That's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. One of the great ironies in this whole discussion is that folks in the Word Faith Movement, New Apostolic Reformation, they would look at people like us, and I would assume most, if not all of us in here, are cessationists. I am a cessationist. I am a card-carrying cessationist. I believe that the sign gifts, not all the spiritual gifts, but the sign gifts, have ceased and are no longer operative in the church today. And they would look at people like us, and I wish I had a nickel for every time I've heard, oh, you don't believe in the Holy Spirit. You don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. On contrary, I have such a high view of the third person of the triune God, God's Holy Spirit, that I do not believe that someone can be indwelt by him and teach the heresies they teach, utter the blasphemies that they utter, give the false prophecies that they give, exploit the poor and the sick and the widows for their own personal financial gain that they exploit and do all of this, be indwelt by the Holy Spirit and feel no conviction. My view of the Holy Spirit is far too high to allow for that. If they were truly indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, the very first time they uttered one of these blasphemies, the Holy Spirit of God would drop them to their knees under such heavy conviction. And yet they continue to teach this stuff year after year after year, decade after decade. They have been called to repent and yet they do not. That is not someone who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is not a weakling. He's not a girly man. He is strong. If He is strong enough to save us, He is strong enough to deliver us out of deception. Dear friends, as cessationists, You and I cede no ground in our pneumatology, in our doctrine of the Holy Spirit, to the charismatics. It is not we who have a low view of the Holy Spirit. It is they who have a low view of the Holy Spirit of God. I want to show you some clips from one of their baptismal services, Bethel Baptisms. Um, they do their baptisms on Sunday night, not every Sunday night, but the way they do it is um, once or twice a month they'll have their baptismal candidates on a Sunday night come up on the platform and the staff person, whoever's on call that night, will go up to each baptismal candidate with a microphone and he asks each person two questions. First question, what is your name? Second question, why why do you want to be baptized? And I'm going to show you clips from just one of these baptismal services. Watch this.
1: One of the great privileges of being on staff is that we get to baptize people. We're going to ask a couple of questions, and then we're going to go ahead and begin to baptize people tonight. Well, two of those Christians, is, one is your name, and the second one is why you're being baptized tonight. And so, let's start with you. What, what is your name, and uh, why are you going to be baptized tonight? My name's is My name's Michaela. And why are you going to be baptized? Oh, Jesus is king. <laughs> I love him so much. And I'm a child of God. <laughs> Come on. We'll do it around with clothes.
0: Do you think that young lady has any idea what she's doing? Not a clue. It's a joke to her. She's laughing and she's acting like she's intoxicated. Now, I don't think she's actually intoxicated. Uh, that's their whole thing of being drunk in the spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is so strong on them that they just can't even control their bodies and they just, you know, stagger around like they're drunk. Never mind that one of the fruits of the spirit is actually self-control, but um, she's too spiritual for that. She has no idea what she's doing. She has no understanding of baptism, no understanding of the gospel. Believe it or not, it gets worse. Because after she walked off the stage, this young lady came up.
2: And where'd you come from? What was your name? And tell us why you have been
0: baptized tonight.
3: My name is Camille, and I hope that tonight's bas- baptism, excuse me, will cause some positive influences in my life, positive things in my life,
2: future opportunities, and strengthen my relationship with God. Camille, that's amazing. Thank okay? you.
0: I call that one the good vibrations baptism because she's hoping that baptism will cause some positive things in her life. Do you think she has any idea what she's doing? Not a clue. She has no idea what baptism is, no idea what the gospel is. Believe it or not, it gets worse. Because when she leaves, this young lady walks up.
1: Friend, not to come over, tell us your name, and tell us why you're being baptized tonight.
3: Hi, I'm Crystal. And <laughs> I just know that God is calling me to be a warrior for his animal kingdom,
1: and that I'm to lead angels of our, an army of angels to protect animals across the world. And I just know I can't do it without God. Come on, give Crystal a round of applause. That's amazing, sweet.
0: what? (laughs) She wants to get baptized because she wants to lead an army of angels for the animal kingdom? Hakuna Matata. (laughs) And they baptized her. They baptized her. I have watched hundreds of these quote-unquote, testimonies from baptismal candidates. I've watched several dozen of their services comprising hundreds of different... I can honestly tell you, with a crystal clear conscience before God, I've seen at at least conservatively 300 people being baptized in their little testimonies. Not one, not one, has given even a basic first-grade vacation Bible school testimony. They baptized them. And what you're seeing there, that is some of the bad fruit coming from the pulpit of Bethel quote-unquote church. That's some of the bad fruit from Bill Johnson's preaching. This is a cult. And all these people think that they're Christians because they've been baptized. One of them wants to be a warrior for the animal kingdom. that... And they think they're Christians. It is, it is unspeakably tragic. This is a cult. And yet, and yet, so many evangelical churches, even some churches who would be within our soteriologically reformed circles, sing Bethel music in their church services and Hillsong music in their worship. Unless you think Hillsong is not as bad as Bethel, oh, it is. Bill Johnson, Bethel Church, Brian Houston, Hillsong, they're friends with each other. They speak at each other's conferences, they cross-pollinate. Dear friends, please understand, when you sing Bethel, I'm not saying you, it's this church, because I know that doesn't happen here. Generally speaking, general you, when you sing Bethel or Hillsong music, you need to understand that you're singing music that comes from a cult that is leading millions of people straight down the primrose path to hell and doing it all in the name of Jesus. Oh, but some of the lyrics are okay. You know, some of their songs have good lyrics. Yeah, some of their songs do. Some of them, not all of them, but some of them do. Some of them would pass a basic doctrinal smell test. But they will admit, they, they confess to people that their music is their primary evangelistic tool. They use their music as a hook to pull people into their cult. And the unsuspecting person sitting out there in the pew on a Sunday morning, and they're looking up at the screen on Sunday morning, reading the lyrics, singing the music, and they look down in the fine print, and they say, oh, music by Bethel, music by Hillsong, huh. Well, they must be okay. We're singing their music, so I think I'll check them out. One of the pastor's most sacred duties is to protect the flock from the wolves. But by singing Bethel and Hillsong music, we're not protecting our flocks from the wolves. We're inviting the wolves in to participate in our worship. Dear friends, God is holy. He must be worshiped in spirit and in truth. And there is no scenario that I can imagine where if we were to ask Jesus, Jesus, are you okay with us singing music that comes from a cult to worship you? Under what scenario can you imagine Jesus saying, yeah, I'm okay with that? No, it's not. It's a cult. Very serious issues, dear friends. I hope this has been helpful for you. Just a very brief overview of the doctrines of the Word of Faith movement. Okay, Uh, Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, it is grievous to us as your children when we see your truth twisted and perverted. But it is not something that should surprise us. Your word tells us that these false teachers would come. And they have, and they are here. So may we be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us. May we teach sound doctrine and refute those who contradict the glory of Christ our King. It's in his name we pray. Amen.